Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode 45 about the book When by Daniel Pink. Keep listening to find out how you're doing life wrong. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back, recording this episode on a Tuesday afternoon in Melbourne. And as we know, afternoon recordings mean no matcha. This time, because it's the afternoon, box some kombucha, some nice raspberry flavoured kombucha with me to accompany today's episode recording. And I'm particularly excited about this episode and the notes took me probably a lot longer, I think, than normal to, to write for this one because this book is probably one of my favourite books I've read this year, which is a big claim. And speaking of best books I've read this year and best books that you've read this year, last week, based on when this episode is going out, so in November at some point. I shared a downloadable which is available for you to download either from LinkedIn or from the Steph's Business Bookshelf website, link in the show notes, which collates all of the best book suggestions that you have given me over the last couple of weeks. So in October, I put a post on LinkedIn and asked what the best or most recommended books you have are. And the response was awesome. I've got nearly 30 books in that document for you to add to your ever-growing reading list. I've had a couple of people comment recently that I'm to blame for a bit of a book addiction and an ever-growing list of books to read and buy. Sorry about that. So you can download that if you're buying yourself or asking for any books over this coming holiday period, over the Christmas period, or buying books for other people. I've categorised it as best as I could into some broad categories for you to pick from if you're looking for something in particular. And of course, if you've got more suggestions to go onto that document or onto the list, maybe when I do an updated one, then let me know. Like I said, link is in the show notes to that document download. So When by Daniel Pink was one of my favorite books that I've read this year in 2019. It was probably the book that when I read it, I was texting people or sending people screenshots of pages boring my boyfriend with all the different things I was learning from the book and it really made me think and get quite excited about reworking work and one of the things that I'm quite interested in and would love to do more work in is redesigning work because it's not really working is it this whole nine to five thing it's a bit outdated it's been around for far too long and needs a bit of an upgrade and now we've got excellent neuroscience and science more generally about when people work at their best and what a typical work day or work week should look like. And the book When by Daniel Pink does go into this to some extent. Before we start, as usual, a little bit about the author. Daniel H. Pink is the author of six provocative books, including his newest, When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, which spent four months on the New York Times bestseller list and was named a best book of 2018 by Amazon, iBooks, Goodreads and several more outlets. His other books include the long-running New York Times bestseller, A Whole New Mind, and the number one New York Times bestsellers, Drive and To Sell Is Human. His books have won multiple awards, have been translated into 39 languages, and have sold 3 million copies worldwide. He lives in Washington, D.C. with his family. A little bit about the book. Everyone knows that timing is everything, but we don't know much about timing itself. Our lives are a never-ending stream of when decisions. When to start a business, schedule a class, get serious about a person. Yet we make those decisions based on intuition and guesswork. Drawing on a rich trove of research from psychology, biology and economics, Pink reveals how to live, work and succeed. How can we use the hidden patterns of the day to build the ideal schedule? 
Why do certain breaks dramatically improve student test scores? How can we turn a stumbling beginning into a fresh start? Why should we avoid going to the hospital in the afternoon? Why is singing in time with other people as good good for you as exercise? And what is the ideal time to quit a job, switch careers or get married? Now, I'm not going to be answering all of those questions in this podcast in case you're getting your hopes up there. All of that and about Daniel was taken from Dan Pink's website, danpink.com. Link in the show notes. Also on danpink.com, there is a huge trove of information and resources on his resources page, which again, I've put a link to in the show notes. There's infographics, videos and guides to support a lot of the ideas in Wen and his other books. I actually ended up getting sucked into watching quite a few of the videos there and I definitely recommend having a look at those resources. But without further ado, let's dive into the three big ideas I took from the book When by Daniel Pink. Big idea number one is peaks, troughs and why our days are all wrong. Now at the beginning I gave you a little bit of a harsh moment of uh, why you're doing life wrong, but this book is about how we design our days generally the wrong way around, upside down and inside out. Various studies have found that most people operate in a peak, trough and a rebound in moods. A peak is around 7am or so, it drops actually throughout the morning and then rebounds around lunchtime. We all know why. There's then a trough at around 3 to 5pm. Again, we've probably most of us have experienced that or experienced that on a daily basis. And then we rebound in early evening. Interesting, that little rebound at lunchtime and rebound in the early evening is quite closely associated with when we socialise. Be it at lunchtime, either by going to a gym class or seeing other people, having lunch with friends, connecting with your team, whatever it is. And then in the early evening where, again, you maybe go home to whoever you live with or maybe go out and meet some friends again, maybe do a sport, something along those lines. So there's an interesting social element there too. This impacts everything from earnings calls to judges' decisions. And this is where we find that those afternoon troughs are incredibly dangerous, actually, in some industries. For example, in hospitals where there is a bit of a a dip in the afternoon in terms of diagnoses and, and mistakes and errors but also in even in stock quoting. So a study was done on many earnings calls and they ran algorithms over the the vocal and the tone and the outcome of earnings calls, whether they were run in the morning or in the afternoon. Afternoon earnings calls of listed companies actually resulted in stock misquotings. Now, obviously those stock prices righted themselves over time, but it was really interesting that those ones had a much more negative effect, even once that information had been sanitized for any economic conditions and things at the time. So based on purely the timing of that stock call or the, the earnings calls alone, an afternoon earnings call was bad for business. They also found by running vocal recognition over the or algorithms over the, over the calls that those calls were in the afternoon were also more tense and combative. Also, our cognitive ability changes throughout the day. So we're at our best and our worst, but for certain types of things at different times of day. So for most people, we're better in the morning at analytical tasks, seeing errors, spotting things, spotting trends, spotting patterns and doing that deeper, more technical work. In the afternoon, we're better at insights or creativity problems, partly because our brain has kind of marinated over the day. But there is this paradox, so they call it the inspiration paradox, that our best moments on innovation and creativity come when we're actually not at our best in terms of our circadian rhythm, so in the afternoon for most people. 
And the difference between us at our best and us at our worst is actually the equivalent of being over the legal limit of alcohol or blood alcohol for driving. So it's quite a difference, which is why it's that cognitive ability that is damaged by different times of the day. There was an example in the book around Danish kids who did maths exams and they did them on the computer and there wasn't, there was more students than there were computers. So different kids had to go in at different times. Again, even when factoring in other conditions around ability, socioeconomic background, all of those things into the kids' scores, the afternoon sittings of the maths exams were worse or the results of them were worse than the morning exam sittings. So this has a very real and a tangible effect. Now, obviously I'm quite concerned because I'm recording this episode in the afternoon. So you're going to find all kinds of errors in it, unless of course you're listening to it in the afternoon and then you'll be cognitively impaired as well. So it's all fine, it all evens out. The big aha moment I took from this section or this idea was around how can I better factor or design my days so that I'm doing my best work at my best time. So I'm doing my deeper work in the morning and my more creative work in the afternoon which actually isn't normally my preference because I suppose probably because I like the creative work. So I would always pre-do that in the morning because I know I'm best in the morning. So it was interesting to think about how I can differently work throughout the day. The other thing it made me think about was my morning exercise. And it does actually have a little section on exercise because depending on your goal and your objective from exercise will depend on whether it's better to do in the morning or in the afternoon. Now, I really like morning exercise, but I also know I'm at my best best for work in the morning. So that makes me really made me challenge, well, do I need to exercise at a different time of the day and use the break time or that slump in the afternoon to try and schedule in some exercise and then do my work in the morning? So that was big idea number one, peaks, troughs, and why our days are all wrong. Big idea number two is larks, owls, and third birds. One of my favorite parts of the book was that everyone has a chronotype and this idea that we have a preference of when we're at our best according to our circadian rhythm. And there are three different categories where people will fall into. An easy version to test yourself, there is an actual more detailed test that you can do, but the very easy version which gives the pretty accurate result is think about a day where you don't have to set an alarm and you can choose when you go to bed and get up at your own preference. Think about what your bedtime would be So for me, uh, on a free day, it would be probably around 10 p.m. At the latest, I like to go to bed quite early. And then your waking up time. So my natural waking up time, if I go to bed at 10 and don't have to set an alarm, is probably between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. I really like to sleep. Take the midpoint. So if I went for myself 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., then my midpoint would be 2 a.m. This then gives you this time, this midpoint time, gives you whether you're a lark, which means your midpoint is between midnight and 3.30 a.m. So that would be me, so I'm a lark. 3.30 a.m. to 6 a.m. midpoint is a third bird, and 6 a.m. onwards is an owl. Now, really interestingly, larks make up about 14% of the population. Third birds are 65% of the population. It's a very steep bell curve here. And owls are 21% of the population. Now, unfortunately, if you are an owl, which is not an insignificant number. It's about one fifth of the population. The world just isn't designed for you, unfortunately. They they compared this to left-handed people living in a right-handed person's world, which for my left-handed family and friends, I know this is you. So for owls as well, if you're a left-handed person and an owl, then clearly nothing is designed for you. I'm very sorry. 
Anyway, so this gives you then your circadian rhythm or your style. And the interesting thing is that this changes what we talked about in lesson number one or big idea number one, which is that your cognitive ability changes throughout the day and when you're at your best and worst. So for larks and third owls, the majority of the population, you go from a peak first thing in the morning when you get up to a trough in that afternoon and then a bit of a recovery or a rebound. For owls, on the other hand, you are the other way around. So you actually need recovery as soon as you get up, a trough and then a peak. So this is where you'll find yourself peaking at maybe 9 p.m. being like, right, let's do some deep work. Whereas the rest of us are winding down to go to bed. This does change throughout your life as well. So as anyone who has or knows people who have young children, you'll know that they tend to be more lark-like. Teenagers tend to be owls and puberty does actually change your, your preference here. And then old people go back to being a lark, generally around 60 plus. Sorry, I just called you old and you're over 60, but they tend to be larks again. So in the middle between kind of puberty and 60-ish years old is your natural preference. And they think this is quite heavily genetic. So creators who know this and they've looked back at the schedules of various creators, writers, inventors over history and have seen that a lot of them have recognized these patterns in themselves and have used it to their advantage. They've done their deep work when they're in their peaks, be it early in the morning for the larks or the third birds or late at night for the owls. They've then done not much work, actually. They've rested really well. And that was one of the other key findings in the book is that people at their best and the most elite performers in whatever field, not just sports or anything physical, certainly the the more cerebral task as well, they know how to rest and recover really, really well. They take their breaks very seriously. They do that in the middle of the day in those troughs. And then they either go into recovery and do sort of lighter work later in the day, or they go into their peaks or do that recovery earlier on if they are an owl. Now, some workplaces have actually tested this in in factories, for example, to align work shifts to people's chronotype. They found that by doing this, stress was significantly decreased and productivity was increased. I'd imagine, although it wasn't in the book, that also error was decreased as well because people are obviously working at their best at their best times. The other thing I really liked in this book, and there's actually a resource for this in on Daniel's website, which I linked to in the show notes, is how to take the perfect nap. There was a whole section on naps and how naps are going to keep us all doing our best work. The best nap is between 10 and 25 minutes. I know I also like a 90 minute nap. Apparently that's a full on sleep, not a nap. And interestingly, apparently longer naps are good for health and longevity, but in terms of productivity, the shorter the nap, the better. The best way to take a nap is to take a nappuccino. I know I was very happy with that pun as well. So the nappuccino is to find somewhere comfortable to have a nap, drink a coffee, set an alarm for 25 minutes, and then go to sleep. When your alarm goes off 25 minutes later, the coffee will kick in, because it takes about 25 minutes for caffeine to metabolize and then you will be raring to go for your next peak and your bit of creative work. So that is how to take the perfect nap, is as a a nappuccino. There is a a recipe, shall we say, for a nappuccino on Daniel's website in that resources page. If you're interested in this, obviously go and have a look at that. It is something I definitely want to add into my days. I can't actually drink coffee, which is unfortunate, so I need to take some some gunpowder green tea, I think, as my, my nappuccino drink of choice. So that was big idea number two, larks, owls, and third birds. 
Big idea number three is when, not what, or beginnings, middles, and ends. There was a section in the book or a couple of sections in the book around the importance of thinking about when, not what you're doing. So this was the idea of, like I said, the beginnings, the middles, and the ends of of tasks, of careers, of lives, of, of many other things. So the beginnings is about getting off to a good start, choosing a good time and doing a pre-mortem of what can go wrong before you start. He talks about temporal landmarks, be it the old adage which everyone will be aware of is that searches for diets go up dramatically uh, on January the 1st or around January the 1st as people think new year, new me and get into that. And obviously we know what happens after that. Also Mondays, there's always uh, anyone who's a gym goer knows that on a Monday, the gym is a lot busier than it is on Friday evening. After your birthday is the other time that people often will will start afresh and see those temporal landmarks or those time-based landmarks as a good time to start making a change or to start something new and start afresh. Doing a pre-mortem of what can go wrong is also really important because you can set yourself up for success better and it's better to know those mistakes up front or what, what the pitfalls you may fall into than afterwards. Dan talks about when he, before he sat down to write this book, but when he had the rough plan to do so, he did a pre-mortem and he knew that to, for him not getting it done and what it looked like in two years time if the book wasn't done, he knew what would have stopped him was procrastination and not sitting down and, and writing every single day or six days out of seven. So that's what he then did. He made a plan that six mornings out of seven, whatever happened, he would sit down and write. Which brings us then into the middle. So thinking about the middles and keeping momentum. So studies have shown that happiness slides from our late 30s to our early 50s and then starts climbing again. That said, there's actually no evidence for midlife crisis being a thing as it's more of a slump than a chasm of sadness or or despair which I was a little bit disappointed about because when my boyfriend bought a motorbike earlier this year, I obviously mocked him for having midlife crisis at the age of 36. Until my brother pointed out, unfortunately for me, that uh, at the age of 36, Dave's probably got uh, time for another midlife crisis at some point. They've also found that people tend to cut corners in the middle of tasks or projects and then have an uh uh-oh effect at the midway point. They're kind of like, oh, damn, we've only got halfway the project to go or we're over halfway through. We need to speed this up. And I've seen that myself and experienced it myself personally, but also in project teams I've been part of or have been witness to. So the important lesson here is to set yourself midway points in projects and in life and goals and milestones to stop you or to, or to promote sometimes that uh-oh moment and that effect that you need to then speed things up or level things up some more. Finally, we need to end well because endings stick both with us and with the people around us. So plan them well. For a work day, for example, get ready for tomorrow. Spend five minutes tidying up your desk, setting a plan for what you're going to do when you walk in first thing in the morning rather than having to make decisions at that point and not being able to start as well. And share some gratitude. Say thank you to someone. Shoot off a quick note or give someone a quick text or a call to say thanks for the work they've done that day. If you're coming towards the end of your career, think about how you want to be remembered. There was, some again, some interesting studies about people who have been quite bad bosses or leaders or CEOs and had not made too many friends, having a bit of a shift towards the end of their career, even just for a few months or a couple of years. And that was how they were remembered. So all of those bad behaviours for years and years and sometimes decades were somewhat undone by a few months of really nice, good behaviour that was really positive and, and stuck with people. 
that does also work in reverse. So if you are, have been known for being really good to everyone and then you get a bit grumpy in those last few months or years of your career, that is what will stick with people. Now, please don't take that as a, oh good, I can be awful for the, for the rest of my career and then just make up for it at the end. That's definitely not the message that this book or that finding was, was getting at. So that was big idea number three, when, not what, or beginnings, middles and ends. As you can probably or hopefully tell, this book really did inspire me to think differently about the way work is done, about the way that we live, about the way we design our days, our lives, etc. And all the fun things that can come with that and all the potential and possibility of better work that can come with that too. There's some things I've already started to put into place and I'm going to be practicing with a little bit more and some things that I'm going to be planning into my days and into my schedules and the way that I work from next year when I make a couple of other shifts too. It's also been a book that I've talked about with a number of organisations I work with and thinking about how they and their people work and how they design their meetings and their cadence and their schedules etc to work when people work best. The other thing I really liked about the book is that A, it was just really enjoyable to read and a very good, well-written book, but also each chapter and each section has a practical guide. So how do you put into practice the ideas that you're doing, both from a work perspective, a career perspective, and also a life perspective? If you've read this book, I'd love to hear from you. Did you take some aha moments away? Did you make any big shifts to the way you work, live, or meet people? And what was the result of that? Have you tried an appuccino? let me know because I'll never be able to try one with my caffeine problem. So I need to vicariously live the Nappuccino through someone else. All my contact details as usual are in the show notes. So I'd love to hear from you to discuss this book or any of the others that I've been talking about. If you want to order this book yourself, I highly recommend it. You can pop over to my book depository site, particularly my friends in Australia to order a copy yourself. But otherwise, until next time, happy reading. <laughs>